another Herschel Walker accuser comes forward. Well, that's a lie. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If this is the first time you're listening to the podcast, welcome, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Patricia, it just struck me, we're going to have to figure out a new lead-in line because the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election is certainly true because me and you have both been all over the state, and I'm once again coming to you from a car atop a parking deck somewhere in the middle of wherever, Georgia, but we're going to have to you know, say the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2024 election pretty soon. We're, we're coming close. I know, but you know, I have I have a recurring dream or a recurring nightmare that the 2022 election is not going to end on election day, and I don't know that I'm emotionally strong enough to think about 2024 right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you're right about that. I think at least one of our big time races will go into a runoff territory, which we've, you know, we've all we've all been talking about that for a while now. You know, we were just talking off the air about the other phenomenon, all the international interest in these races. We know about national interest, but we are both getting lit up with requests to speak to foreign journalists and to show around reporters from France or Germany or, you know, of course, at the busiest time of our, of our lives, really, right now. And I just came, I'm coming to this parking deck. I just spoke to about 300 or so lawyers, most of them international. And the topic was supposed to be the future of democracy. And I kind of went up there as like, guys, I, I'm not going to give you any pronouncements about the future of democracy, but I can tell you what it's like to live in the center of the hottest political state in the nation. And I was worried that my my entire spiel would kind of go and they'd, they'd give me polite applause and have me move on. But this crowd, I'm late to the podcast, but this crowd asked 20 questions. There was 20 more to ask. So no, lots more evidence that we are <laughs> we're an international hotbed of attention. Yeah. So when I cover national politics, this is very typical of Iowa. It's very typical of New Hampshire. It's actually called political tourism. There will be groups of tourists, either from other states around the country or foreign tourists who will book plane tickets to go somewhere and watch American political elections unfold. They're so unusual. They're so different from their own home countries that that's a way that a lot of people um, either like to spend their free time or it may be for um, an education group, something like that. And that's but that's a lot more typical in Iowa, New Hampshire. And you would see that all the time during the presidential caucuses and primaries. I really don't remember this happening in Georgia before. And so as you said, you and I are getting contacted all day long by foreign (laughs) journalists foreign groups, foreign dignitaries, whom I would love to show some Southern hospitality to, but we are so slammed right now. I'm trying to, I I like that you said, you're like, yes, I will meet with you if you are at a campaign event, Yeah, (laughs) which is a great move. I'm trying to think about my next moves. Um, But uh, yes, we want to help people understand these elections, but our, you know, of course, our first obligations are to our readers and listeners. So that's why we're doing this today. And you know, I, I can't even plan out my next day sometimes, let alone my next week. So and I know you, you're the same way. And I, we both kind of told our spouses, hang in there. There'll be lots of attention after the election. I know that I will be taking off this coming Saturday for a family friend's bat mitzvah slash Florida Georgia game. And then I have tickets to the Georgia Tennessee game that could be the biggest home game in Sanford Stadium history, or at least recent history. Um, so I'm definitely going to be taking off next Saturday too. But other than that, 
I am all I locked in. I love it. But that Georgia-Tennessee game is going to have shades of Herschel Walker written all over it What's because it? that was his big breakout moment in his entire football career was a was a huge play against uh, Tennessee when he was playing for UGA. So I'm sure there will be multiple references made. You're not going to escape politics by going to that game. I guess I'll that's even, my point. I'll even have an Athens dateline maybe or two from Oh, I bet you might. <laughs> <laughs> well, co- well, coming up on today's episode, we'll talk more about Herschel Walker, but a little different twist. Uh, the, the new Herschel Walker allegation and the high-profile lawyer who's getting involved in that case. Uh, we'll have a preview of this weekend's final gubernatorial debate. We'll talk about how Stacey Abrams is invoking China in one of her closing arguments. We'll answer your questions for the listener mailbag, and we have a lot of stuff on the show. We'll have our who's up and who's down for the week. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Okay, Patricia, let's set the stage. It is a Wednesday. We have been working our tails off covering all the different angles we can possibly cover with these Senate races, governor's races, everything, everything races. And I'm driving back from Savannah. You're out and about getting ready to go to campaign events in the metro Atlanta area. And we get an email in our inbox that says, Gloria Alred is having a Zoom press conference from L.A. with another accuser of Herschel Walker. And, you know, from a newspaper stand, from our from our journalism standpoint, one of the first things we had to have internally was a conversation with our high-up editors about how we handle this type of event. Because not only is this sort of an October surprise bombshell, but also we're dealing with anonymous sources. Um, you know, it's not to say we don't believe these accusations, um, but we're dealing with anonymous sources this close to election. And so I pulled over my car on the way back from Savannah and before we published anything, really before we even really tweeted anything, I wrote up a long summary of what uh, this anonymous accuser wrote to our, to, to send it to uh, one of our high up editors who had to approve the story getting published. That just gives you a glimpse of, of, you know, this is a very delicate time in the campaign just a couple weeks before the election as voters are already voting in droves. And this allegation while it's significant, we're not sure if it's going to have a huge impact on the race. It doesn't seem like it might, but it is a significant new storyline, a new part of Herschel Walker's campaign that attracted a surge of new national attention as well. Yes, I feel like we have entered into the lather, rinse, repeat stage of the Herschel Walker campaign. It is sort of every week brings another. Um, and the only word is bombshell, bombshell, accusation and allegation. Um, but as 
the newspaper in Georgia, the biggest newspaper in Georgia, we really do have an obligation to balance what's in the public interest, what's in the public domain, and what do readers need to know about and what's fair to the candidate as well, because this, these are unverified allegations. But because, especially because Gloria Allred was doing a Facebook Live and just saying it all at the same time, you know, obviously, that's something very important for readers to know about in context. And so, um, yeah, I was on my way down to Fort Valley, Georgia, which is in the very middle of Georgia, and uh, ended up being a little bit too late to that event because I also pulled over to discuss this and look into <laughs> it and uh, get ready for it. And so I ended up uh, going to Noonan instead for a Stacey Abrams event that we can talk about later. Um, but uh, this was just, uh, I mean, a huge huge development. It would be even bigger if it was the first development like this, but it's not. Herschel Walker being accused for a second time. Um, This time, uh, Gloria Allred had the woman not on camera, and she did not share her face or her name. You can understand why somebody would not want to do that, but it also makes it harder to evaluate these things if somebody's not saying who they are. But going into great detail. Um, uh, The woman Mm -hmm. on the Zoom call going into great detail about a six-month affair she said she had with Herschel Walker. My dad is an attorney, and he said his experience in family law is that the more specific and bizarre the details, sometimes the more likely it is to be true. It's so strange. Um, And there were a lot of strange, unusual details that this woman was sharing, um, saying that uh, she, well, she actually shared a voicemail from Herschel Walker when he was in France during the Olympics uh, for the bobsled team. And um, the voicemail said, God, the place they have a staying is such a dump, <laughs> which was it's so terrible, strange yeah. to hear him say that was bizarre. That's one of the things that stood out to me. Um, but also, you know, saying I love you. Uh, she went into great detail about um, the relationship she said they had, that he was married at the time. It was in Dallas, described extensively the amount of travel she did with him uh, to sort of shadow the Dallas Cowboys football team, their home games, away games. So there's just tons of details. She Mm -hmm. said ultimately she voted for Trump twice, but that she came forward now because the question is why in the world two weeks before Election Day, she came forward now because the other woman came forward. And in his denial, Herschel Walker said, I would never sign a card with an H. And the woman said, oh, he's signed lots of things with an H to me. And then went into detail about um, an abortion that she said she had. And um, that is, you know, that's really the heart of what she's accusing him of. And she had some of those cards. She had pictures that she said were of, of her and him. She said when he got traded from the Dallas Cowboys, it felt like she got traded. Um, so she had, she went into great detail. Let, let's listen to her. After the abortion, I felt that Herschel began distancing himself from me. So, Patricia, even as she was speaking, Herschel Walker was at a campaign event up in North Georgia, and I think it was LJ, where he said this was another lie, this is a bunch of foolishness. And then he had more extensive interviews with media outlets. And then he gave a slightly more extensive remarks to Fox News later on that day. Here's what he said. Well, that's a lie. And I've said that's a lie. And I, think, I hope people can see right now that Raphael Warnock and the left would do whatever they can to win this seat bite. But I don't think they realize that they messed with the wrong Georgia in here. 
that I'm not going to stop. This seat is too important for me to stop thinking that they can try to scare me or force me out of this seat because they're not. And I hope the people saw after that debate who's the guy ready to represent the people of Georgia, whereas Raphael Warnock is there to represent Joe Biden. Patricia, we've heard this before. We've heard this not only when reports about another woman who, who said that uh, he uh, pressured her to get an abortion and even paid for her 2009 abortion, not only when that came out, but also other other bombshells that have shaked up the campaign, including uh, the reports by the Daily Beast that Herschel Walker had other unacknowledged kids that he hadn't made public, including gaffes he's had on the campaign show. Time and again, he just said, hey, I didn't do that. Or he, dis- he either dismisses it altogether or denies it. Or in some cases says he's addressed these issues in his book and he tries to move on, even though, as we've reported, when it comes to violence against his now ex-wife, he did not address that in the book and has still not addressed that on the campaign trail. Either way, this is part of what you said, wash, rinse, repeat. This has become a familiar cycle in Georgia where national Republicans rally to his aid. We interview supporters at his his events who say either it's fake news or even if it's not fake news, they don't care that Republican control of the Senate is paramount. And we see polls continuing to show a very, very close race between him and Senator Warnock. Yes. And the timing was striking because as Herschel Walker was campaigning, he was with Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina um, at the same time. And in an interview on Hannity on Thursday night, Lindsey Graham came out just uh, furious, you know, saying that this is all an attempt by Democrats and the media to sabotage Herschel Walker to keep young black men from becoming conservatives and Republicans, an effort to destroy a man's character along the lines of Justice Kavanaugh. So the there is no daylight between Herschel Walker and national Republicans. Just after the press conference with Gloria Allred wrapped up, the NRSC, which is the uh, National Republican Senatorial Committee, really in charge of getting these Republicans elected in their races across the country, uh, put out a poll immediately, probably within 30 seconds of Gloria Allred finishing up. And, you know, and the headline is Herschel Walker surging to a victory. New poll was their internal poll with no details (laughs) other than the fact that he's apparently winning in their internal poll. (laughs) No methodology, no crosstabs, just, hey, don't worry, we're winning. Everybody stop looking at that. Nothing to see here. Um, Also, Senator Ted Cruz in Georgia the day after to support Herschel Walker again. Um, Just no daylight. Last week, we saw Senator Tim Scott really revered as one of the highest profile, highest character Republicans in the Senate, also here to support Herschel Walker. So he's getting all the backup a person could possibly have. And they're all just barreling toward Election Day saying, this is ridiculous. This is all ridiculous. Herschel Walker is also saying that it's a lie, but uh, it will be up to voters to decide. And as we said before, they don't have a choice. If you're a national Republican group that is intent on flipping the Senate, Georgia is one of your main pathways to do so. Right. Things might be looking better for Republicans in Pennsylvania. They might be looking better for Republicans even in Arizona right now. So there's other options that weren't necessarily there before. And certainly Herschel Walker is not going to withdraw from this race. It's too late to replace him on the ballot anyway. So even when these first round of allegations came out and and you heard some national figures saying, how can Herschel Walker still be in this contest? Well, <laughs> you know, they're not. there's no replacing him. Um, Patricia, I was at his rally in coming where we saw that exact pattern that you you outlined play out with Lindsey Graham, um, with a number of local Republican officials pledging their support. But to me, the most telling comment came from Dr. Rich McCormick, 
who is the GOP nominee for the 6th District of Georgia. It's a newly redrawn district designed for a Republican to win, so he's most likely going to be one of the newest members of the Georgia congressional delegation. And here's what he said, quote, the one thing that matters to me when it comes to our next U.S. senator here in Georgia is that he votes right. Herschel Walker will vote right. So, you know, he, to me, is emblematic of a chunk of Republican voters. We've talked about the three buckets. We've talked about voters who are still on the edge, you know, who that sliver of voters who might end up either not voting at all or voting for Warnock or the Libertarian. We've talked about a number of voters who think this is all fake news and, you know, they're supporting Walker. But there's also voters, and I'm not, I don't know if Rich is one of them, but uh, he certainly didn't say if he was, but there's a number of voters who ascribe to that philosophy that even if this could be true, it's voting for Herschel Walker is a vote against Joe Biden and it's a vote for a Republican-controlled Senate. And that's a very persuasive argument to some voters. We saw that in 2016 with Trump. And look, you see this uh, in 2020 with Trump as well. And you see this on the Democratic side of the aisle. I mean, we're not here to talk about Pennsylvania politics, but there are a number of concerns about Fetterman in Pennsylvania, the Democratic nominee for the U.S. Senate, especially after a very very uneven, shaky, rough debate performance. And there's still Democrats who are saying, hey, a vote for him is a vote for for Democratic-controlled Senate. So you see this on both sides of the party aisle. But this is a very, very strong dynamic, a strong undercurrent among Republican voters here in Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. It's by far the easiest race to nationalize because it does have such overwhelming national implications. Um, I think also I think that voters, uh, honestly, their opinion of candidates has fallen so low and their opinion of the Senate has fallen so low that there is a kind of an overwhelming assumption that the mainly the only job of a senator is to go up and vote yes or no. And that's about it. Like, can you can you do that? Can you say yes or no? Okay, good. That's all I need. Like, that's all they need. And it, again, it's not just Republicans. It's Pennsylvanians and uh, Democrats in Pennsylvania as well. I can also tell you about a Senate race that I covered one time where Mel Carnahan mm-hmm. was running for Senate, died in a plane crash and still beat John Ashcroft in the Missouri Senate race. After he died. Okay, so voters will make their decisions based on a variety of factors. And being alive is not really <laughs> one of them all the time. Um, there is just so much going into this. And so people, you know, outside of say, well, I don't, I just don't understand how Republicans who, you know, who are um, very many of them, very conservative, very religious, how can they get there with Herschel Walker? I'll tell you what, it's not that hard for them. In fact, it's very easy for many of them. And I do get a sense that Democrats are in a little bit of denial right now in Georgia that this is possible. They're sort of thinking to themselves, oh, but Raphael Warnock is a pastor. And Herschel Walker has all these accusations against him. Um, This is a live contest. This thing is going down to the wire. It could easily go to a runoff. We have no idea who's going to win. I will tell you also what caught my attention recently right before we got into this podcast was a hot mic conversation between Senator Chuck Schumer and President Joe Biden on the tarmac. And Schumer saying, you know where we're really going downhill is Georgia. Yeah. Oh, so that was legit. A bunch of people texted me that and I have not, I did not retweet it yet because I haven't even opened it yet. So that, that is legit audio. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, okay. Well, that tells it all. Let's take a quick break and then we'll focus a little bit more on the race for governor and your questions. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. 
Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with the other host, Patricia Murphy. Not only are we the host of this podcast, but we're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. It is a labor of love that we work on every night and every morning. I was actually up as early as you were um, on Thursday morning because I had a Morning Joe appearance at 5.50. So I kind of, well, I was still up later than you, but I at least felt like I was in the ballpark of Patricia's early morning routine and by getting up at 5.30. Like I, had, I had been up for two hours by okay, then. Okay, never mind. But, but. <laughs> I still think that's great. Well, you can get the f- Welcome to the early mornings. But I cannot stay up as late as you do. I just can't do that. I'm a, I'm a night owl. You can get the fruits of our labor in your inbox every morning. If you're a subscriber to the AJC, you can join the community now, right now, by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That is subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Okay, Patricia, we've got such a busy lineup to come. Friday, former President Barack Obama is coming to, to rev up Democrats on Saturday. There's a tremendous number of campaign events all over the state. We'll have reporters with different campaigns, and we'll have a very busy campaign notebook. And Sunday is the final of two debates between Stacey Abrams and Governor Brian Kemp. It's going to be televised on our, our friends over at WSB Channel 2 Action News and on WSB Radio. This is the, kind of the, well, it's the last chance that Stacey Abrams has to confront Brian Kemp face-to-face. And Brian Kemp, just as he did in this in the first debate, he's just kind of looking to survive. He's looking to not have any memeable or, or viral moments go against him. He's He was quite happy, I'm sure, to have the libertarian candidate in that first debate suck up some of the attention and energy and, and time there. He won't have that benefit this time. WSB has a polling threshold, and the libertarian candidate, not surprisingly, does not meet that threshold. So it'll only be a head-to-head um, matchup. He, I know he's been in debate prep. I know Stacey Abrams has been in debate prep. What are you looking for in this debate, Patricia? So obviously looking to see if Stacey Abrams can change the dynamic between the two of them. I think he, Governor Kemp has just been so disciplined this entire entire campaign talking about the economy, talking a bit about public safety. But those are really the two issues we've heard from him on. He was even asked about abortion in the previous debate, and his answer really wound straight back to the economy. And uh, he has just has been very skilled at doing that. I think his previous debates also against David Perdue um, have helped him, kind of kept him limber in these debates. So we'll be definitely looking to see if Stacey Abrams can land some punches. I've been so fascinated. The 
at the difference in the dynamic between these two big races in Georgia, the Raphael Warnock, Herschel Walker race has been just almost entirely about personality, personal weaknesses, personal Mm -hmm. foibles, personal uh, backgrounds, mistakes, um, you name it. And the governor's race has been really largely about policy. And so I think that voters are voters like that voters want to hear about people's plans. I think that these two candidates have both been really heavily focused on policy. And whether Stacey Abrams, though, can really narrow down on just two or three key policies to highlight against Kemp. I think that's what I'll be looking for on Sunday night. What about you? And you're right, because it has been focused on policy, but it's different because Brian Kemp is mostly focused on the policies he enacted that he pushed to champion in his first term. He said very little about what he'd do in his second term. He hasn't had to you know, act with urgency because he's been ahead in the polls, so he hasn't felt like he needed to outline sweeping proposals. Most of the proposals, aside from a $2 billion tax refund, have been fairly modest when it comes to criminal justice changes and education changes, nothing sweeping like we saw in 2018. Whereas, by contrast, Stacey Abrams literally has more than 100 proposals involving all sorts of issues from healthcare, expanding Medicaid, legalizing gambling, giving teachers and law enforcement officers pay raises, to climate change, to affordable housing, to issues that are not usually front and center on a uh, statewide campaign, but she'd argue that they should be. (laughs) So I think we'll hear some of that. You know, it's interesting, and this dovetails into another topic we want to talk about, but she's been increasingly talking about China. And in in the last debate, she brought up an attack line about China and Chinese government linked firms um, buying up uh, Georgia land and property. Well, what could be what might be her final policy proposal involves what she said is closing a critical loophole. This is her words in the state's technology infrastructure that could leave systems vulnerable to hacking from Chinese government agents. So we saw a little bit of this in the 2020 race when Doug Collins and Kelly Leffler were talking a lot about China in the final days. And certainly David Perdue would attack John Ossoff for perceived links from his documentary company, uh, for his investigative journalism company, to Chinese government, um, I guess, Hong Kong-linked companies. <laughs> anyway, I don't even remember that storyline. I just remember, <laughs> you know, having to, uh, to to write the same few sentences over and over again when it came to David Perdue's attacks. But now we're seeing Stacey Abrams lean into it, and I'm, I'm not, I won't be surprised if a China-related attack comes up in the debate. What do you make of this sort of last minute China pivot from Stacey Abrams? Okay, there must be an internal poll somewhere that says, oh, weird. People care about China. (laughs) It's the only explanation to me. I mean, if you take quite some time to outline the situation um, in that Chinese companies, which are actually essentially a you know a part of the chinese government because there's very little delineation between the government and mm-hmm. commerce over there that they are creating and monitoring technology that's then used in the state of georgia for some government purposes they they therefore then have access to critical infrastructure and they could then if they felt like it bring down our critical infrastructure i mean that just took me too long to explain <laughs> and so you're going to have to get that job done a lot faster in the debate so Honestly, I don't understand why any of these candidates go there. It is so complicated. It is so 
difficult to explain. I, I'm sorry if there's an internal poll somewhere that says that this is a good idea, but I feel like you stick to your bread and butter on this. And, um, you know, I think also, frankly, uh, when Republicans do this, Democrats get quite offended. And I'm not even, I don't even think it's wrong to say, you know, some avenues of those arguments start to feel very xenophobic. So I think, you know, you need to tread very carefully in this area. Um, Stacey Abrams is plenty smart enough to know that and to do it ably. But again, I think when we are this close to election day, we've already had people voting. You really want to stick to your bed and bread, your your bed and brother, really. <laughs> you really want to stick to your bed. Oh, it's been a long week, folks. You really want to stick to your main core issues and just hammer the ones that are working. Introducing something new at this late date, I think, is always a risk. I will tell you one of the most confusing scenes of the 2020 campaign. There's a few involving China. There is the late stage debate moment where Doug Collins was trying to attack Kelly Leffler for some sort of portrait. painting? Some painting that he said was linked to John. But the weirdest thing was I'd go to a John Ossoff event near the runoff and there'd be these like Republican activists who were wearing red and they're wearing MAGA hats and they were waving communist flags. And I guess they were doing it to try to freak out Ossoff or whatever, but they, they were the ones waving them. So I didn't understand. So in the pictures, you saw all these MAGA supporters with red Donald Trump hats <laughs> waving communist flags. It was so confusing. Um, anyway, that's all on the side. Um, I don't think we have any questions about communist China in our listener mailbag. But uh, no, B, I've never gotten any to my mailbox. <laughs> Jenny B., uh, you know, let's remind the listeners, you can now call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime, leave a question. We'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. And Shaney B., uh, your, your dedicated core of interns has a number of questions for us this week. They sure do. So let's get stuck. Something's missing, though. Something's missing. Uh... <laughs> Okay. Okay. Now everything's right in the world. That just seemed a little uh, odd, didn't it? I feel so much true. better now. I feel so much okay. better. Yeah. I, mean, I was like, this isn't right. <laughs> uh, yes. Some great calls have come into the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. Let's get right to it. We'll start off with a call from Ben, who has a question about voter turnout. I'm a huge fan of the Politically Georgia podcast, and I'm a student at Georgia Tech. And I was a bit surprised at the massive voter turnout for the first couple of days of early voting. And I was just curious, uh, with many voters saying that the economy is front of mind, but Democrats are betting on abortion being a motivating factor. Uh, is this high turnout something that Democrats or Republicans are more excited about? So it's a great question down from the Georgia Tech campus. And I will say that both campaigns, both groups can find some good news yeah. in these early turnout numbers. We have talked to all of the campaigns. The Republicans love that a lot of the the highest percentile turnouts are coming from red counties, very highly engaged groups of voters in conservative counties, red-leaning counties, or, or just completely red counties. They need to run up their numbers, even in the areas where they are uh, – heavily, heavily favored because that helps in their statewide counts. So they love to see that. Democrats, on the other hand, say that they are very pleased with the number of 
mail-in ballots from women. That's a 59% share of the mail-in ballots, which is much higher than the typical 55% share of just kind of the general electorate of women who turn out. They feel like seeing those higher numbers in the mail-in ballot shows a highly engaged uh, female electorate, although overall, the total is about 54.5%. So you know, not not breaking any records there. But both sides can find good news. I will also say both sides of the aisle have plowed millions of dollars mm-hmm. into getting voters to come out to the polls early, either early in person or early by mail. They Their message is vote and don't wait to vote until election day. So that is the message that anyone who's hearing from any kind of canvasser is getting that message over and over and over. So we don't know what turnout is going to look like overall, but we know so far, very, very high. Great question, Ben. And for anyone who wants to get a closer look at what the ground games look like, read Patricia Murphy's column just a few days ago in the AJC. Yes, do that. Um, do that. But look, both both parties, it's so it's so hard to divine what these early voting turnout numbers mean. It's really hard to see who's up and who's down by looking at it, but both parties certainly try. And so I was at a Herschel Walker event earlier today, and I was hearing all the reasons why this group of Republicans was very optimistic, and this other group of Republicans was even more optimistic, and I've heard the same from Democrats. What we know is that turnout has exceeded midterm levels right now. We're at 1.2 million votes, far exceeding the level that we saw in 2018. Of course, it's behind the 2020 presidential level, but it's it's outpacing the, the midterm turnout and shows that voter behavior is starting to change dramatically in Georgia. When you hear predictions from campaigns, they're looking at their very sophisticated data modeling because you don't know who the ballots are secret. So you, know, you have no idea who the voters are voting for, right? Which parties, which candidates. What they're trying to do is they're looking at past behavior, primary re- voting records, demographic records that might indicate you lean this way or that way. And so each campaign, each outside group even, has its own data set that it uses. And I've heard, you know, Republicans very excited because they feel like they're within a few points of Democrats. And just as a reminder, Republicans usually win the the election day turnout by a, by a pretty hefty margin. So they're expected to be behind Democrats in the early vote period. They just don't want to fall too far behind. And so when I hear from Republicans, we're only three points back. We're only, you know, four points back. Even I've heard we're only five points back. Um, They just don't want to be 10 points back at this stage, right? And they're all using modeling that is not not perfect at all. But I, I do know as just a Georgia voter and as someone who loves writing about politics, it's great to see such voter enthusiasm at this stage in the game, 1.2 million and counting. And we're only just about halfway through early voting. We're a little bit over halfway through. Shane, what's our next question? Our next question is a call about some billboards that this lady has seen around town. Hey, I have seen these billboards for Sonia Sotomayor um, around the Atlanta area, um, and it seems to just say her name and that she's a Supreme Court justice, um, and I haven't been able to catch where it's coming from. I'm wondering if y'all know why these are on billboards, what their purpose is, who's funding them, um, how they came to be. Um, and I don't really want to leave my name because I heard that I get assigned a name if I don't, <laughs> so hope you do me proud. That's a great question, Wilhelmina. <laughs> Patricia, do you want to take this one? 
<laughs> Wilhelmina, you've stumped me. You've stumped me completely. Um, I have not seen the sun you set on my bar billboards, nor have nor have I heard about them. Have you heard about them, Greg? No, I, I got. I have a hunch, though. They, it might, might just be a reminder that a Democratic-controlled Senate helped confirm justices of color, right? The, the, uh, Sonia Sotomayor and others who have more liberal viewpoints. I, that's the only thing I can th- think of. Um, but I don't know. We've seen all sorts. I do know this. There's all sorts of outside groups here who are doing all sorts of really interesting things, you know, beyond TV ads. We've talked about the pro Herschel Walker group that's giving out gas vouchers and grocery vouchers to voters to highlight high energy prices and inflation. There's been groups that put out very bizarre ads in the AJC and elsewhere that I don't really understand, but I don't think it's meant for me to understand. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just seeing a lot of innovative spending that goes beyond the typical TV advertisements and flyers that we talk so much about. And we see, we hear so much. Yeah, absolutely. There also has been the innovation of the mobile billboard, people putting a billboard Ugh. basically in the back of a flatbed truck so that they can just drive it around Ugh. and get as many impressions as uh, they possibly can without having to pay for a stationary billboard. Wilhelmina, will you do us a favor and reach out and tell us where you saw that billboard and maybe take a picture of it? And we would love to find out more and report back. Mobile billboards. We're about to go to our who's up, who's down. If I had an extra who's down, I'd say mobile billboards because all they do is they exist to create traffic. I don't mind billboards, (laughs) but when you're literally just trying to create more traffic in an already traffic-clogged city, I sound like an old man. Get off my lawn! But I don't like (laughs) Get off my highway. (laughs) Who's up and who's down. Boom. Okay, Patricia, we always like to end on a high note. So who is your who's down first? My who's down this week is Stacey Abrams. A really tough Politico investigation came out about Stacey Abrams and the connection between Fair Fight, which is one of the many voting rights groups that she founded, um, the litigation that's been going on in Georgia, and millions of dollars in legal fees that have gone to the law firm of her campaign chairwoman. That, of course, is something that's raised a lot of questions. Some ethics experts said they feel like that is a conflict of interest. Uh, But it's just one of many recent headlines and events that have really just um, taken a little bit of the shine off of um, the entire Abrams effort to register voters and fight against voter suppression. Um, It had been something that really was without any question in some recent investigations into those, as well as recent court decision striking Mm -hmm. down parts of that uh, lawsuit that Fair Fight spent so much money on. Um, It's just been a bad bad run. Um, Stacey Abrams, obviously, I saw her out on the stump and excellent spirits, big crowds, feeling great. But this is kind of the back kind of background noise that you just don't want to have in the last two weeks of an election. So I was sure you were going to take my who's down. So I get to say it. Former Republican State Representative Deborah Silcox. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of those moments where I saw I saw on social media and several people have texted me this flyer. And I, we have a jolt file that we that we share every night and every morning. And I didn't even want to t- try to take a stab at writing the item because I knew that Patricia would do so much better at it than I did. So I just wrote, Patricia, you might have fun with this one. <laughs> and so you had a great <laughs> item about it. But let me let me tell you about this, this um, why I'm mentioning Silcox. She's a former Republican state lawmaker who's running for her uh, a, a seat that was drawn to favor Republicans in the North Atlanta area. She put out a flyer 
targeting her opponent. And it says she has flexibility for full-time service. And then it says this, quote, only Deborah Socox can give the job her full attention because her adult children are grown and her law practice doesn't require her full-time attention. So she's basically saying that her Democratic opponent, Kelly Kaufman, is at a disadvantage because she's a physician with three young children. Uh, it led to an outpouring of criticism, not just from Democrats, but mostly from Democrats, but also Republicans. I've heard from many Republicans who are privately seething over this ad, men and women who are parents, who say, how is that disqualifying? And you quote Stacey Evans, State Representative Stacey Evans, a Democrat from Atlanta, who said, quote, I've held a lot of fire, but this hits me hard in a sad way. No one would say this about a working dad opponent. And, uh, yes. And I also, point. we pointed out in the jolt that if this is our standard, you can't have children at home and also be running for office. Neither of Georgia's two U.S. senators would be in office. Burt Jones would not be running for statewide office. Um, Governor Kemp would not have been eligible under that standard mm-hmm. at the beginning of his term. And you can kind of just go up and down the aisle. There are tons and tons of working moms and working dads at the Georgia General Assembly. It's a part time job. Parenting is a full-time job. <laughs> we would also Even when be they're grown and flown, guess what? You're going to be spending quite a bit of mind share and probably money even when they're out of the house. So, I mean, super tone deaf, extremely offensive. I got it in my mailbox. I'm like, oh, I don't even have time to get upset about this right now. <laughs> but yeah, one of the, one of the most ill-timed, ill-chosen messages I've seen in a long time. Well, let's go to a happier note. Who's your who's up for the week, Patricia? So my who's up for the week, counterintuitive, Herschel Walker. Another allegation against him with a lot of really strange, unusual, unfortunate details. Um, Nobody seems to care. All the National Republicans sticking with him. His crowds this week have been humongous, humongous very loud, vocal, cheering him on. We don't know what kind of an effect this is going to have. But in terms of everybody act like nothing's wrong, they have got that game down in the Herschel Walker campaign. And um, they're even trying to sort of use it to buoy their chances. And um, he has not missed a beat since this allegation came out against him. So he's my who's up, despite expectations otherwise. I'll say my who's up is Barack Obama. He's coming to Georgia on Friday, and it's just a reminder that he's still the sort of safe harbor for Democrats. Raphael Warnock wants to keep Joe Biden away with a 10-foot pole. That might change in runoff phase. We'll see. But right now, he won't even say whether he wants Joe Biden to run for re-election, let alone whether he wants to work for him or support him or, or whatever. You know, He got asked that question in Savannah a couple of days ago, and he said, who's up, who's down, who's in, out, who's in, who's out, who cares? You know, that, that's his remark. But Barack Obama is someone who both Stacey Abrams, someone who Raphael Warnock, someone who the rest of the ticket feels comfortable, feels safe campaigning with. And so it just shows you his staying power here in Georgia. Not to say that in 10 years, Joe Biden might not have that. Who knows? Because certainly there were times when Barack Obama would come to town and Jason Carter and Michelle Nunn, the, the top of the, the ticket for Democrats in 2014, they didn't want to be anywhere near him, right? So this this happens. But right now it is... Uh, a reminder of Barack Obama's staying power in the hearts of Georgia Democrats. Well, we here at Politically Georgia would like to know what you think of our podcast. Please click the link in today's episode description and answer a few questions, and we'll know how to make this podcast even better. 
Thank you again from the bottom of our hearts for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. We're in the final stretch. We're having a lot of fun with this podcast and can't wait to keep it going. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.